0: Right, in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today, we continue our NFC East and overall NFL Fantasy Football Team Preview Series with the New York Football Giants. And look, starts at the top, year two, Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones coming on back. And in terms of fantasy football land, I mean, this rookie year went as well as it could have gone. I mean, only Lamar Jackson have more games with at least 30 fantasy points than Jones last season. Now, okay, Lamar had seven, Jones had three. There's obviously a gap between those two, but I mean, he came out, he put up big productive performances and had shootouts with fellow bad teams. I mean, this was all we could have hoped for from uh, Daniel Jones, who like Josh Allen was more or less written off, you know, before he even played an NFL snap by most uh, evaluators out there. And look, I've never, I need to improve my, you know, just college, Uh, scouting, just, you know, having a better grasp on these guys entering the NFL. But, you know, just seeing Jones and Josh Allen over these last two years, you know, come in unanimously, you know, kind of be like written off before they even take a snap. I really think just as a, you know, fantasy football community as a whole, we could all do a little better at, you know, giving these rookies, let them get actual NFL reps preseason regular season before making too strong of opinions. I know how tempting it is when we have February through April every single year, you know, to only focus on these rookies, but, you know, just seeing these situations where, you know, quarterbacks in college weren't in the right scheme or place or, you know, just, or even just the reality that you can be a bad real life quarterback and still be a productive fantasy quarterback, you know, be careful about writing off the next perceived first-round bust looking at you, Jordan Love. So anyway, Danny Dimes was awesome in the preseason last year and ends up throwing for over 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, and just 12 interceptions. The issue was 18 fumbles and just 12 starts. Absolutely absurd. And uh, additionally... I mean, Daniel Jones, he only started 12 games, but managed to join Jameis Winston, Kyle Allen, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, and Deshaun Kaiser as the only QBs to rack up at least 30 turnover-worthy plays in a season since 2017. He needs to rein things in. He can do it. I mean, Lamar Jackson had a fumbling problem his first year. Second year, was able to cut that down. So I think it's certainly more solvable than the interceptions. But, you know, the issue here, and, you know, it was a good point by uh, Evan Sobo when he came on my podcast to talk quarterbacks. I would be so much higher on Daniel Jones if we didn't have Jason Garrett now, you know, in charge of this guy's development, seemingly, you know, calm plays for the offense. I mean, as great as Tony Romo and Dak Prescott are, I'm not sure how much credit we can give Garrett for that. I mean, the common complaint of Cowboys' offenses over the last 10 years was just how predictable they were and, you know, lack of pre-snap motion, lack of moving around the talent. So I think, you know, Saquon Barkley is going to be fine just getting the workload. But expecting Daniel Jones to make this big year-two leap in an offense that will probably still have, uh, you know, anyone's idea of a below-average offensive line You know, good weapons everywhere, you know, still not a great defense, so it can still be a productive fantasy producer, but, you know, was much higher on Jones before uh, the whole Garrett situation, that is for sure. Moving on to that backfield, 2018's RB1, Saquon Barkley, lost the title in 2019 to Christian McCaffrey, but... I mean, I think it's still pretty clear that Barkley is anyone's idea of a top two fantasy back in the league. I do have him as my RB two at the moment, but man, I was saying on the old uh, Twitter sphere last week, if we had as, a, and I mean we as in planet Earth, you know, Space Jam type situation, aliens invade our planet, we need the field of football team to try to take it to him and save humanity. Saquon Barkley would be Earth's RB one. I am convinced of it. There just isn't a guy that you know is more just slippery, powerful the balance, it's ridiculous. I mean, again, 2018 PPR RB1 and league leader in broken tackles. I truly believe he is the single best RB in the league just in terms of who would you want to have on the field? You know, all money, that sort of stuff equal. So the question is, what is the pass game floor going to look like? I mean, over the past two years, only McCaffrey, James White, and Alvin Kamara have had more targets per game than Saquon Barkley. I mean, 6.7 now, that's a little bit inflated from getting 121 targets in 2018, but hey, even, you know, the 73 pass game opportunities last year ranked eighth among all running backs and Saquon missed three games to get there. So, you know, maybe not getting 120 plus targets, but I think with Saquon's talent, you know, with the projection for 80 plus targets and, you know, 300 plus rush attempts should be good. And uh, like I said, I'm worried about Jason Garrett's overall influence on this offense, particularly Daniel Jones' development, but as we've seen from Garrett, you know, with your DeMarco Murray's and Zeke. Elliott's of the world, he is perfectly willing to force feed a a productive feature back like Saquon Barkley. Could Dion Lewis somehow take pass down snaps away from Barkley? I really, really, really hope not. But hey, I wouldn't quite put it past the clapper. And also uh, just in terms of a handcuff situation, I think if Barkley goes down, we would see a two RB system between Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman. I don't, I would not go out of my way to target either in fantasy drafts, even, you know, in terms of late round darts, there's just better guys out there to go after. All right. Wide receiver. So, Really difficult to project this Giants passing game because we did not have a single game all last season where all of J- Jones, Barkley, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram were all healthy. We just didn't. Now, I went ahead and I took the targets per game from these guys just when Daniel Jones was under center. And again, little fluky because some of these games, you know, guys were benefiting from others being out. But At the end of the day, Golden Tate led the way with 8.4 targets per game with Daniel Jones under center. Sterling Shepard was in there at 8.3. Then Evan Ingram at 7.7. Darius Slayton, 6.1. Saquon Barkley, 5.7. So a little bit less work for Saquon when Daniel Jones is under center compared to Eli. Ultimately, again, I'm just not worried about it because he's still getting a top – eight to top five target share regardless would it be nice if it was you know that top four we released top two pretty much we saw in 2018 yes but again I think the overall talent outweighs the potential uh, small decrease in volume the real interesting thing is trying to break through with these wide receivers because right now Slayton's being drafted as the highest one and then Shepard and then Tate and if you just look at last year, I mean, it should probably almost be in reverse because as talented as Slayton is, you know, he made some nice plays downfield, showed off some solid route running. I mean, double moves, roasting Xavier Rhodes, uh, for example. I know he wasn't the only one, but Golden Tate actually averaged more deep ball targets per game and he kept his yak. I mean, this was really a great season by Golden Tate. I know he got suspended the first four games, but, you know, he managed to keep that kind of yards after the catch ability he had in Detroit when most of his targets were coming on low, dot stuff. But New York actually increased his A dot, you know, to a level we hadn't seen since his days in Seattle, and he was still making big plays after the catch. So, really nice season from Golden Tate. He even had that, you know, baller one handed touchdown against the Cowboys as well. I'm okay ranking Shepard ahead of Tate, but it's close. And I think, you know, either of those guys you should be prioritizing ahead of Slayton, I think, just relative to their costs. Like, why take? Darius Slayton as a top 35 you know 40 receiver when you can wait like another two rounds and then have Tate and or Shepard fall into your lap so either way all these Giants wide receivers are being priced as wide receiver threes wide receiver fours it's a little unclear who's going to rise to the top but you know I'd be shocked if someone isn't a wide receiver two by the end of the season I would say Sterling Shepard has the best chance of making that happen But, you know, this might be a situation where it's a better unit to attack in best ball than redraft. I mean, it's (laughs) good. If all these guys stay healthy, it could be a week to week thing, just a different, you know, kind of number one receiver throughout the week. But they are cheap. And, you know, as we've, you know, kind of talked about on these podcasts, it's so important just to try to get your running backs uh, early in fantasy football drafts of all shapes and sizes. So, you know, if you're entering rounds seven, eight, nine with your running backs already locked in, I don't mind taking even more than one of these Giants wide receivers on the same squad. Because in best ball, you're not going to have to worry about, you know, picking the week they're going to start. You just draft at the beginning of the year. It'll optimize, put the best guys out there. You know, no better place to do so on Underdog Fantasy Sports. Go to Underdog. Use code PFF. You'll get a free entry in their million-dollar tournament. So you can, you know, go see for yourself. And I, I've told people, it's friends, when they ask hey, what should I do with my fantasy draft this year? And the one thing I say every single time is just go do a best ball draft or even just a mock draft, just one or two before you do you know, your draft with your home friends because you're going to be startled when you look at the RB landscape around four or five. I and mean, you know, I know it's tempting when you see Devontae Adams and Julio Jones and just these complete studs there early, but you know there's 50, 60 wide receivers literally we can talk ourselves into throughout these drafts, only about 15 running backs. So, again, go to underdog do a couple of these best balls. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. And I think it'll put you in a better position to go win those home leagues as well. And Hey, again, use code PFF. Maybe you'll even have a million dollars and then who cares about the home league. So we'll see what happens there, but all right, moving on to tight end. Another guy that, you know, is you're just taking a risk on, but the upside's there. Unlike the wide receivers though, Evan Ingram is being priced closer to his ceiling. He deserves to be though. I mean, when Evan Ingram is on the field, he is a top five tight end. He really has been his whole career. The problem, I mean, you know, he had 15 games, the rookie, then 11 games, then eight games. So we're trending downwards. And you just look at the injuries since he's entered the league. Two concussions, bruised rib, multiple sprained knees, two hamstring injuries, and an IR-worthy foot injury uh, that took him out of the 2019 season. He has been back in training camp, moving well. You know, no seemingly no uh, risk of starting the year on the pup list. That's all good news. And again, when Ingram is out there, he is going to be a tight end one and, you know, getting those 7.7 targets per game uh, last season, you know, obviously good to see uh, with that. I mean, only Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Gronk, Ertz, and Darren Waller have averaged more receiving yards per game than Ingram among all tight ends over the past three seasons. I mean, that's 7.7 targets per game. That's, we, we can rock with that. That's tight end one level stuff. So. We'll see on Ingram if he stays healthy. He's going to be out there. Uh, I understand not reaching for him in fantasy drafts. I haven't been. And, you know, my general strategy at tight end position has been get Kelsey, Kittle, or Andrews. If I can't, I'm waiting, you know. Let's let, uh, let everyone else draft the next six or seven tight ends out there. I will settle for the Chris Herndon's, John Smiths of the world in the later rounds. So Evan Ingram, you know, ceiling's up there as always. It is a little concerning that the ADP is still right there in that ceiling. If Ingram, you know, was the tight end eight, tight end nine, maybe I'd be more willing to uh, take a stab at him. But injuries are a concern, and unfortunately, we're not getting much of a discount for those. On to the ranks, I have Daniel Jones as my QB fourteen. One spot behind Matt Ryan, one spot ahead of Aaron Rodgers. I have him behind, you know, the aging gunslinger t- uh, tier of Bree, Stafford, Brady, uh, Ryan. You know, I do have Burl and Newton ahead of him as well. He's got the rushing floor. That's why, you know, I have I have Jones out of uh, Rodgers and Goff. But I, again, just the Garrett thing. So much of his production last year did come in just these kind of bad team shootouts. I'm a little concerned with Jones's ability to keep up these wild 30-point games. The offensive talent is there, but the scheme, and I think maybe more importantly, the line play, might not be at the level we need to see him uh, really step it up. Two QB leagues, that's fine, but, you know, I would not enter one QB leagues with Daniel Jones as your clear-cut number one QB option. Uh, RB, Saquon Barkley, RB2, only behind Christian McCaffrey, ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. Look, I mean, there hasn't been a repeat fantasy RB1 since Priest Holmes in the early uh, 2000s. And McCaffrey lost to Saquon in 2018 by like 0.1 or something. So he was right there, very close to doing it. But, you know, history would tell us that McCaffrey won't be the overall RB1 next year. Saquon has as good of a shot as anyone in the league of retaking that role. Uh, Wide receiver, again, like these guys, they deserve to be priced as wide receiver threes and fours. We're making projections here rankings are meant to denote where the guys are going to finish by the end of the year. And this is kind of one of the arguments that why rankings shouldn't necessarily be relied on as, you know, the overall just king of kind of fancy sports and what we're, you know, grading analysts on and stuff because like, okay, you have to rank these giants guys. I've Darius Slayton, wide receiver, 38, uh, one spot behind Crowder, one spot ahead of cooks, uh, Shepard wide receiver, 46, one spot behind Mike Williams, one spot ahead of Sean Jackson. And then, uh, Golden Tate, wide receiver 43, one spot behind Debo Samuel, one spot ahead of Preston Williams. I am – I am targeting all those guys in that range. So I think uh, it's just important to remember uh, not so much like the specific ranking, like where's this guy median, where's this guy's median projection going to be at the end of the year. It's about, is he being drafted in a spot where in his potential range of outcomes, the upside is much higher and realistic. And I think for all three of these wide receivers, we can say that. And again, Slayton, when we have to go that high, okay, I'm taking Brandon cooks. I'm taking me Hartman. I'm taking, you know, probably the guys that just have a little bit more upside, you know, when it comes down to it, but especially Tate and Shepard at their respective prices, go get them. Everyone. Go do it. It's not going to kill your team. You're not going to look back and say, wow, if I hadn't taken Sterling Shepard in round 10 of that fantasy draft, you know, we'd be talking about a different squad. Uh, and I, I really think they could boom if everything goes their way. Tight end, I have Evan Ingram with my tight end five, one spot behind. Zach Ertz, one spot ahead of Tyler Higbee. You know, as I was explaining before, just usually kind of fading that tight end four through 10 range, letting others reach. So on to the win total. You know, I said before, I do think the Eagles should be the favorite to win this division. Both them and the Cowboys have a 9.5. win total giants are down at six and a half. And we got, even got some juice on the under. I think six and a half is a good number. This is a team that could flirt with 500 football, but ultimately I'm going to take the under here. I don't think they did anything on the defense to really convince you that they're going to be this world beating unit. I mean, all respect to James Bradbury. He's a very good number one corner, but you know, it was one of the things where like he would lose kind of a lot of these battles in an extremely tough NFC South. I mean, you know, going up against Julio, Michael Thomas, uh, Mike Evans three times a year. Like that's miserable for a number one corner to deal with. But you know what? Things aren't going to be that much easier in NFC East when he's going to have Terry McLaurin, Amari Cooper, and – uh you know, maybe Jalen Rager sooner rather than later to uh, square off against. So I, you know, you look at the pass rush was an issue. There's just not enough new talent on this defense to make me think they can be anything better than below average. And on offense, it's like, do we really think Jason Garrett can enable Jones to take this step to carry a team that I just as a talent level is, you know, in a different tier behind the Eagles and Cowboys. I'm gonna go with no under six and a half wins for the New York Giants in 2020. All right, and that's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been your 2020 New York Giants fantasy football team preview, PFF fantasy football podcast. I'm Ian Harditz. Take care, everyone.